morning, everybody, and welcome to the Sophos Lounge podcast, episode six. I'm your host today, Howell Morgan. Today, I'm joined by Andrew Brandt, a very experienced researcher, um, a part of our Sophos Labs team based in the US. So thank you very much for joining us, Andrew. And do you want to tell us a little bit about, you know, your role within Sophos Labs? Sure. So I am a principal researcher within labs. And uh, although that title doesn't really describe what I do, I think of myself more of as an investigative reporter who covers the world of cybercrime uh, from inside of a, uh, an, an analysis uh, organization. So Sophos Labs, uh, we do a lot of research into malware and other kinds of threats. And I work with the labs team to find the ones that I think are most interesting to our, to our audience who are, you know, tech journalists and other security researchers and other people in the industry. Uh, we try to bring those stories out to the public. So, uh, so people can know what great work Sophos is doing. Well, no, it sounds, you know, it's great to have you on the team, Andrew, and I know we've worked together in the past. So uh, yeah, great to have you at Sophos. And one of the things that uh, I know you've done recently, you were one of the, the co-authors on the, the Sophos 2021 threat report. So today I was hoping we could have a bit of a chat about some of those those findings. And at a, at a 30,000 foot level, what would you say the kind of the, the key takeaways from that report? Yeah. So the, the threat report, which you know came out at the end of 2020, really encapsulated uh, a lot of the things that we did throughout that pandemic year of, of trying to uh, switch from normal business to a lot of people working from home and remotely, all of the risks and problems that those uh, types of that you know, it, it was a pretty dramatic set of changes that went through sort of the workforce that brought with it additional uh, security concerns. And in addition to all of that stuff that was going on, uh, the sort of ordinary threats of spam and malware that steals password, uh, the other kinds of things that we see attacking servers uh, never really went away. So it was a, it, it was a big year for uh, dealing with the sort of paradigm shift of the change in the way that people do work and the shift to a sort of uh, distributed workforce from a centralized workforce and all of the security problems that came along with that. Absolutely. It's, you know, those are changes that were underway, but would probably have taken many years, if not decades, to, to have that digital transformation that took place that was forced on on individuals and businesses just to, to do the essentials that they needed to do and stay in business. And, you know, we saw, you know, from that, I think one of the things that came out of it was, you know, move away from the traditional platforms and, you know, much more use of cloud where consumer and supplier can actually meet and transact, whether that's commercial, whether that's education, healthcare. And, you know, we definitely saw a lot of exploitation of those, uh, of that move. And there was one, I saw a statistic that came out from, I think it was Accenture, and it said 79% of business leaders had said the rate of, of technology adoption was outpacing security. And I think that was really crystallized this year uh, with the move to new technologies, with security left trailing in its, its wake, trying to catch up. I was wondering if you saw any, you know, what kind of the, the examples you saw of attackers taking advantage of that gap between 
security capability and the adoption of technology? Yeah, it's a it was a very interest it's a it's a great question and it was a very interesting thing to sort of watch as the workforce shifted the uh the the techniques and the targets of the attackers also shifted pretty dramatically and so a good example is that there were lockdowns that sort of swept the globe in in the middle of March 2020 and suddenly workers found themselves, you know, sitting at their kitchen tables or in the spare bedroom or sometimes in the living room, uh, trying to have meetings and get work done. Uh, everything needed to connect back in through the office network still. And in the time while they were sort of in that early transition phase, a lot of businesses uh, rapidly set up uh, VPNs for for their employees to use. Who you know, many of whom had not necessarily uh, been remote workers in the past, and and there was that learning curve of how to use a VPN. But then also from the IT perspective, there was the learning curve of how to protect those VPNs. Uh, so we saw a huge uh, increase in the number of scans and brute force login attempts that were targeting VPN concentrators. Those are the the machine at the hmm. at the business end that you would VPN into. As a result of that ex- extreme amount of scrutiny of those VPN concentrators, some people's passwords were not up to snuff. Some uh, organizations did not use multi-factor authentication, and we saw a lot more. Uh, penetrating that network uh, using some old uh, password or a password that hadn't been changed in a while. And that led to a, a big increase in the number of ransomware attacks, just for one example. Yeah. And I'll come back to ransomware, but I, I agree with you. I think the the VPNs is one issue. And I think one of the other issues we saw as well was just the the fact that people were using, certainly when the, the lockdowns first started, and I can speak for this part of the world in, in particular, people were just using whatever devices they could to get their job done. So whether it was the a PC or a phone they happened to have at home. And in many cases, though, in some of the countries in ASEAN, for example, people didn't have computers at home. And you have in organizations just hiring taxis and vans to take the desktop machines from the office and take them round to the employees so they could carry on working from home. But when they were using the these devices at home, the non-corporate devices, you know, these were being shared with all members of the family and often had no security solutions on them at all. So that was yet another vulnerability for organizations, how these devices were now becoming part of their extended perimeter. Yeah, indeed. And um, the term zero trust became a de rigueur, you know, euphemism during 2020, because we were suddenly dealing with a situation where we didn't necessarily want to trust even the machines that had been provisioned by the uh, employer and then sent on to the employee. You didn't know under what circumstances that laptop was left unlocked while the teenager wanted to play Fortnite. Yeah, exactly. So, so, exactly. so there were all sorts of situations in which um, compromised machines could uh, legitimately connect to the network and then let bad guy in through like a side door. Uh, and I think there's also the human element that when you're sat in your own home surroundings, especially if you're not used to it, you become a little bit more complacent, and you may not you may not take so long to to scrutinize that email that's come in and realize it's a phishing email. And it does that the human psychology may be more trusting when they're more relaxed in that environment. So um, yeah, I think there were so many things thrown at companies and individuals during COVID. 
cybersecurity is just one element of it, but you know there were plenty of people on hand to take advantage of that. Uh, any lapses there were in cybersecurity. Yeah, and and you know in, I'm glad you brought that up because especially the early days of the COVID lockdowns, when there was just a lot of anxiety and fear uh, out in the public, you saw that, where at least we saw that uh, criminals who tried to take advantage of that by sending spam emails that looked like they were official COVID lockdown notifications or updates from the IT department or anything that had to do uh, with the lockdown common sense sort of went out the window and people began when there's a, a sense of fear or there's an underlying tension of, of anxiety around a topic. That's an effective technique for most, you know, of the malicious spammers to, uh, to get you to click that link or open that file yeah. uh, on your machine. And, you know, everything, anything COVID uh, ramped that up to 11. It, it just got to be so intense that it, it didn't matter what the scam was. If it mentioned COVID, it was you know likely to succeed. Interestingly enough, it was obviously a huge problem and IT people around the world recognized it for what it was. We have a, a, a data scientist on the research team who also saw this as, as a big problem and made a call to you know the information security community to come together and deal with threats that leverage the concept of, of COVID-19 as a social engineering trope. And it got enormous response. We, so uh, Josh Sachs, who's one of our you know lead data scientists and works with the research team to come up with new ways to discover malware that no one's ever seen before and, and realize what it is and block it just put out a call and said, hey, you know, anybody who's interested, come join us. And within, uh, within about five weeks, we had nearly 4,000 people from around the world, including law enforcement and government representatives from countries all over the place, coming together in uh, essentially kind of a free-for-all chat channel where we were sharing live threat intelligence about spam attacks and malware that was leveraging COVID and anything that had to do with uh, COVID and cybersecurity. That's so good to hear because we know that there's an increased pattern of the cyber criminals working together and collaborating. So it needs us as a, a cybersecurity industry and the other industries around it to really get together and make sure we've got a united front against that. And we are sharing that level of intelligence. Yeah, and it was it was a very it was very gratifying to see how many people felt as passionately as as Josh and I did about the about this problem and you know rush to uh, join in and and kind of want to contribute something you know pr productive towards stopping it. It it, it is you know it is a uh, it's a crime against the conscience to uh, leverage fear of a pandemic. Uh, against a, a, a populace that just uh, you know doesn't know. I mean, in, in those early days, we had no idea. I think we know now that cyber criminals don't have morals. It's uh, it's a business, and uh, they don't worry about the uh, the morality of what they're doing. If I if, if I could just you know follow up on that, I mean, I agree with you. There is no question that criminals will take advantage of a situation if there's money to be made. But this was different. This was this was something that was unseen in the modern era and spanned the globe in terms of its effect. I think that there was there was a strong sense that 
the security industry was willing to draw a line in the sand and say that this far no further that you will not this is not something that we will allow you to get away with and there was a lot of work on countering those those attacks i mean it's it didn't help in the big scheme of things i mean it, i shouldn't say it didn't help it helped to a certain extent but the criminals even though they could read the tone of of the world and they they could see that the uh, the world was against them on this did not relent they they were not willing to you know set things aside although a few tried to make as like a pr play an attempt at saying okay no we won't attack hospitals we won't attack medical facilities but they would then turn around and just do that anyway you you mentioned earlier on uh, you did mention ransomware and this is obviously ransomware has been around for a long time now but are you seeing this is still an area of growth and an area of innovation from um, the criminals. Ransomware has been around uh, 2013 uh, was when we saw some of the very first ransomware attacks. The the ra- ransomware has continued to innovate and change its uh, business model and try to adapt and counter security measures that people have put into place. You know, for, for eight years, we've been saying that the best security against ransomware has been to just have very good backups that you keep current so that you can't lose anything. And the countermeasure to that is that ransomware attackers in 2020 started to steal your data, take it off of your network, and then threaten to release all of your most sensitive information to the world unless you paid them not just a ransom, but uh, you know you paid them uh, for their silence to, uh, to not leak your sensitive data to the world. And started with one ransomware vendor, and very soon after that, several other threat groups started uh, doing the same thing. And now it's uh, de rigueur with with ransomware. It used to be that if you think of the you know confidentiality, availability, and integrity of information, you know ransomware was all about the availability. But you're saying now it's moved to it's the confidentiality you have to worry about as well. Yeah, and they were even uh, in some of the threats that the ransomware actors you know made in their notes. They even invoked the laws like GDPR that protected people's privacy, and they said you know if you don't pay us this extortion for keeping your data private. Uh, will release it, and then regulatory authorities in your region may uh, choose to punish you for having a breach. And I mean, it was talk about adding insult to injury. You know, this is this is a company that's already under attack and really being putting the screws to them to uh, to get people to pay. And, and talking of ransomware, the I know you've been doing some research right at the moment about the link between the topic of the day, hafnium and how ransomware fits into that. Yes, we we've been doing we've been following the the story of uh infected exchange servers very closely since uh Sophos is a member of the MAP program which is Microsoft's early release program for, we find out about these vulnerabilities that are going to be patched on patch Tuesday a few weeks before when we first got information about it we started uh, hunting around, and we discovered s- many customers that had uh, compromised exchange servers that were already running uh, these what what uh, they've been called web shells. Uh, they're essentially a remote access for a server that's facing the public internet. And in addition to the web shells, we're now starting to see some of those servers get attacked with other malware, including a a brand new family of ransomware called Deercry. 
D-E-A-R. And Deer Cry is interesting in that in some ways it uh, is very not mature uh, ransomware in that it doesn't do some of the more advanced techniques to be effective that we see from more well-known ransomware families. And at the same time, has some very unique and specific characteristics that make us think in some ways, it is very similar to WannaCry, another ransomware that caused problems for large organizations a few years ago. People are so focused at the moment on the uh, on the initial exploit and the you know, the the leaking of of the data as part of the Hafnium. Uh, I'll call them Hafnium. I know there are many groups at play here. But I want to change subject a bit. And one thing I found interested in the report it was talking about more and more the the criminal's abuse of red team tools and i was wondering if that was a, a you know a trend you see increasing yeah well among other things ransomware uh, threat groups that they're doing ransomware attacks they do, they do not necessarily have the skill set that they need to build tools for themselves so, so uh, increasingly frequently we are seeing things like Cobalt Strike, which is a a penetration testing uh, tool set used to gain initial access into a network. A a Cobalt Strike reverse shell is a very convenient way for a a threat actor to give themselves a foothold into a corporate network from which they can then launch further attacks. I, I would say that the use of Cobalt Strike has gone up dramatic since there was a leak of some Cobalt Strike source code and uh, was published to the internet, and now all the threat actors have access to that. They are building their own versions of Cobalt Strike payloads. But in it, you know, that hasn't stopped the threat actors from using all sorts of other tools. I mean, they they've always used Metasploit, Meterpreter tools, and they they've been using PowerShell for a long time, and they've been living off the land with you know every command that you can think of that comes default on a Windows machine. They can take advantage of it to do something that they need to do. They, they often do. And so it's much more convenient for them to just learn the lay of these, you know, these tools than to build their own. Thank you, Andrew. I've got one last question. Imagine you've got a crystal ball. In 12 months' time, what do you think we'll be reviewing as the, the main trends of 2021 going into 2022? Wow. Um, <laughs> so I try, I try not to use a crystal ball because they're <laughs> Very wise. fragile and they have a tendency to mislead from time to time because you can be wildly wrong. But what I, what I do like to do is uh, draw a line from, you know, what I'm seeing today and just take it out to its logical extreme. And, and so, you know, maybe that's not quite a crystal ball. It's a, you know, an increased use of vulnerabilities that affect large enterprise software packages and, and the things that uh, enterprises use to manage their networks, right? So in the early, in the early days of COVID, the attackers were targeting PN concentrators and other uh, sort of network access points. Now they've taken to a target, you know, targeting the uh, the tools, the next generation management tools that administrators have been using to try to manage those networks remotely. So that's why we saw solar winds. That was a big problem. There were so many networks that had solar winds uh, on there to help them with management. There's been uh, a breach of a, a 
device from a company called F5 that's also present in large networks. And, you know, we see attackers targeting, you know, the exchange servers, which are, you know, almost ubiquitous in companies of a huge range of sizes from just a few employees to many thousands. So I think if you want to say that there's one trend that looks like we're, we are steering directly towards a world in which all of our enterprise software is under scrutiny all the time and subject to attack asymmetrically as people figure out that there's a new vulnerability in some thing that happens to be in you know 50% of corporate networks that's going to be the next big target okay no thank you I, I agree with you i think that's a, that's a much more um, logical explanation than just guessing at things of course nobody can predict what's around the corner who would have predicted uh, covid 18 months ago so uh, there's always something that gets thrown at us oh, well, i could stay talking to you for hours um andrew but unfortunately time is our enemy so i want to thank you you know very much for joining us at the sophos lounge and hope you can drop in again sometime i would love to it's been a great pleasure talking to you oh, thank you andrew and for everybody who's listening if you're interested in what we've discussed today please download the the Sophos 2021 Threat Report from www.sophos.com. Thank you for listening again. I'm Howell Morgan, and that was the Sophos Lounge Podcast. Until next time, stay secure.